Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Cannabis Tech Talks. You're chopping it up with Chuck. I am the editor-in-chief of Cannabis and Tech Today, where we always bring you the best in the biz when it comes to innovation, science, sustainability, and social equity. Um, today's guest, we are very excited to have today's guest. We have with us one of the most interesting men in the industry, I think. Uh, we have Andrew D'Angelo. He is a cannabis industry consultant and strategic advisor, as well as the co-founder of Harborside. Andrew, welcome. Hi, Chuck. Nice to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. You're in Oakland, huh? I am. Sunny Oakland today. Yes. Oh, that's, that's so, it's so great to have you here because um, I wasn't kidding when I said that. You have, uh, you've got a really diverse background in the industry, don't you? Yeah, well, I've been at this sometime, 37 years now. Many people are probably familiar with my older brother, Steve, and Steve's 10 years older than I, so we've been at this quite some time now, uh, and it's been a grand adventure. Yeah, so uh, how far back does this history go with you guys and cannabis? You know, when did, when did it kind of become apparent that this was going to be your guys's, uh, you know, kind of life mission? Was it, was it all the time or was there like a certain turning point? Well, my older brother Steve tells the story when he was 13, he took his first taste of cannabis and he immediately knew from that first experience that cannabis is what he was going to do for the rest of his life. So he had that experience very quickly. I came along 10 years younger than Steve, and uh -huh. luckily I had him to guide me through my first experiences with cannabis. And similar, I also knew cannabis was going to be in my life. I did not know it was going to be my profession when I was a teenager, but I did know it was going to be in my life for the rest of my life. And, and as it came to pass... Uh, uh, cannabis has also been my profession, among other things. I'm sort of a renaissance man, as you alluded to a moment ago. Yeah, I, I, it's crazy to think back. You know, my first, I was kind of a late bloomer. I didn't try cannabis until I was, uh, you know, after high school. I was like 18 or 19, and my buddies thought it was really funny to get me high. Um, and uh, I never had any idea that I'd be involved with this as a, as a form of work. You know, it was just kind of a, you know, it was just sort of a recreational thing. And it was something that you, you build an affinity towards. But there was no way I was going to make a living out of it back then. And then, you know, look at where we are now. Right. Well, we've come a long way, haven't, haven't we? And it's a testament to a lot of hard work by a lot of, a lot of people for many, many years and decades. So um, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, both of us included, and it's a real privilege to be able to do this work. So we have lots of work to do that'll take up certainly the rest of our lifetimes and, and many generations to come. But the cannabis renaissance is here, and it's a thrilling, a thrilling moment to be a lover of the plant. It's a, it's a great time, man. Um, so tell us just briefly, what was it like, uh, you know, opening one of the first, it was one of the first dispensaries in the nation, right? Harborside opened in October of 2006. Okay. So 14 years ago. At that time, California was the only legal state. And at that time, California was only medical. And 
we were one of the first six licenses ever issued for a cannabis business. And after a lifetime of activism and, and being in the cannabis trade, we were thrilled to try to take that opportunity and that um, trust that the city of Oakland had put in us and create a gold standard retail experience for cannabis and cannabis people and particularly in those days patients mm -hmm. and uh, our vision was unique at that time most dispensaries were run by well-intentioned activists who weren't super good at running a business and or they were dispensaries owned by criminal organizations that were sort of using the law as a front for moving a lot of weed out the back door and we wanted to do something much different than that luckily um, the world was absolutely ready for that vision when we hit Oakland at, uh, 14 years ago and pretty much overnight uh, we had people coming into our facility and telling us that it was something, it was a dream come true to be able to come into a, a shop where the windows were open, natural light was coming in, there weren't bars on the windows. We were operating as a not-for-profit. We were putting people first. We were donating money to the community. We had free programs if you um, needed uh, cannabis because you were poor. We had a, a care package program. We also had a program where we um, gave people free weed for writing cannabis letters to cannabis prisoners. So that's oh, wow. sort of the genesis of LPP sort of started there in, in many respects. And we had to figure out cannabis retail, which was never had never really been done before. So things like laboratory testing, Harborside Pioneer, things like child resistant packaging for edibles, um, Harborside Pioneer. Great idea, by the way, great idea. <laughs> Yeah, I think for edibles, it's a great idea. I'm not sure we need it. It's gone a little too far, of course, overkill. I'm not sure we need them for a joint. I mean, if the tobacco people don't need them, uh, I, I'm not sure why we need them for a joint. But in any case, uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes these innovations come uh, as a, 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 can go a little too far and can kind of bite you in the rear end. The same thing happened with taxes. We, 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 asked, we asked the city of Oakland to increase our taxes early on in 07 08 because wait, we want it wait I what know. i know yeah. i know chuck i know <laughs> tell us about this you said hey tax us a little bit more right because in those days we we wanted to be considered legitimate by uh, the uh. city by the community by other taxpayers and other businesses and we were just being taxed like any other business in the city of Oakland, there's a business license tax that everybody has to pay. And it's a fraction of 1% of your gross mm -hmm. that you have to pay. Well, we said, look, we'll pay a little bit more. We're cannabis. You, you're, you have to regulate us. You, your program costs a little bit more. Why don't you, you know, bump it up a, you know, a quarter of a percent or a half a percent. Well, of course <laughs> they bumped it all the way up to 5%. And then when we legalized for adult use, they bumped it up to 10%. So, so, and that made it very difficult for us to have reasonable prices for patients and for customers. To this day, we're struggling to compete with the, what I call the legacy market. Uh, some people call it the underground market because the price differential is so great that people who love cannabis and consume a lot of it uh, have a hard time affording it in the, legal market and dispensaries like like harborside so 
It's yeah. a really, it's a really dynamic, I mean, interesting market when you look at the legacy, you know, versus kind of the, the new industry in California. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, isn't it pretty much common knowledge that the legacy market is bigger than the legal oh, market 80, quite a bit? Yeah, about 80, 20, maybe 75, 25. Wow. We, we might've crawled another 5% yeah. in the last two and a half years. But no, it's a it's it's a unmitigated disaster, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and this certainly was not the intention of anyone who voted for Prop 64. And you know, we have to fix it. I've been trying to fix it for two and a half years. A whole bunch of other smart people have been trying to fix it. It's a very hard thing to do, and we haven't succeeded. But we have to keep trying. Doesn't that happen a lot, Andrew? Where you know people go and they get something put on the ballot and they get it put through and they're like, "Yeah, we got this done." And then there's some unintended consequences, or you know, there's some things like that. Like, I mean, that kind of happens, right? And then you got to go back and fix it. You got to strengthen it. You got to do this. It's a it's a process. It's not really a destination, right? Right. It's called democracy. Yeah. And it's messy and it's imperfect and it goes back and forth, but it's a lot better than tyranny. Mm -hmm. which is certainly um, more efficient <laughs> as a, as a decision-making tool. <laughs> uh, but, um, but, you know, we all know what happens to tyrants. The harder they come, the harder they fall. Uh, we've got a pretty hard one falling right now, I think. Um, I don't, I, and taking a whole bunch of people down uh, with them. So um, we don't want that. Right. So, so democracy is messy and, and, you know, we didn't get, Prop 64 right, and we had to make a lot of compromises because we lost Prop 19 just, you know, mm -hmm. a few years prior to 64. So, yes, complicated, messy, not perfect, um, a real pain in the rear end to deal with, um, incremental change is frustrating, the political process is frustrating, Sacramento's frustrating, local politics is frustrating, but that's how change happens, and yeah. that's the work that we have to do. That's why you know, activism is not something that should be anybody's full-time job. Um, it should be something that we all have a little bucket of activism that we do on a continual basis uh, because you'll get burned out pretty quick. It's a very difficult process. Um, and we'll see. Maybe we'll have to stick uh, a fix to Prop 64 back on the ballot in 2024. I'm hoping we it doesn't get to that point because that's a hard, arduous, and expensive process. But it may, if, if we can't get the Democratic Party here in California to cooperate with us a little bit more, I'm afraid it may come to that. I'm a, I, I want to get to that because that's a great topic. And, and you are. You're an activist, right? I mean, underneath it all, when it comes down to it, you're an activist for, for the plant and for the industry, right? Well, if you want to sell weed and not go to jail, and you, yeah. you need to be an activist. So to, I am a reluctant activist. <laughs> Um, it is not the thing I like doing. Um, yeah. I, you know, I like selling weed and creating models for integrating cannabis into society and telling stories about cannabis and writing about cannabis. That's the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can't do any of those things if, you know, you have to go to jail. Um, yeah. So the activism part is just a prerequisite to being able to do everything else. And so we're all activists, even those of us that don't think we're activists or don't do any quote unquote activist work. If you work with this plant, even in an auxiliary business, even if you don't touch the plant, you're an activist by yeah. nature of the medium being the message. 
Um, so, so, um, and it's, it's a fun thing to embrace. Uh, social change, when we create positive social change, it's a pretty remarkable thing to be able to look in the mirror and say, wow, I, I, I played a part in doing that. It gives your life a lot of meaning and, 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 and you know, you can say that there was something more important to you than the rat race. Yeah. And I, I think the medicine aspect, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, the fact that there are, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's almost undisputed now, medical benefits associated with cannabis that, uh, you know, I think if you tried to have that conversation maybe 20 years ago, people might, you know, just, they would just dismiss you, you know, right away, be like, whatever, you know, that's just what you guys say. I think we really have turned a corner where there's a, a ton of, of medical benefits and, you know, destigmatizing is, it's still there, obviously, but uh, I mean, it's getting better, maybe we're. Oh, much better. Look at what the children with epilepsy did for mm -hmm. CBD and did for legalization in states like Alabama and Georgia and Delaware and places like that. Delaware, it wasn't just epilepsy. There was a, a young uh, girl named Riley who had a tumor um, and she became an activist because CBD and helped her tumor. Uh, so she she passed a law called Riley's Law, which um, gives other kids access to cannabis. So that's how we get the stigma down is 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 the face of cannabis becomes Riley and becomes kids and becomes seniors and becomes, you know, vets with PTSD. Veterans. Yeah, I was just going to um, say that. Yeah. And, and, and when that becomes the and everybody knows those folks are in the fabric of our society. Everybody has folks in their family that are either veterans or perhaps mm -hmm. are suffering from cancer or some other debilitating disease and, and all everybody knows someone like that and when we personalize cannabis as wellness when we frame it as wellness because i'm i'm in the camp that all use is wellness sure. even, even if you're trying to quote unquote recreate with with cannabis um I think you're still engaging your endocannabinoid system and there's still be uh, wellness benefits that are happening in that scenario. And in fact, it's part of the wisdom of the plant is to, is to use the psychoactivity to get those cannabinoids in our bodies to give us that, that wellness uh, aspect. So, and I think, you know, it's going to take some time to reduce that stigma to nothing. Um, and, you know, to this day, people don't want to have a cannabis dispensary in their neighborhood. Why stigma? Um, and that's not just California, Michigan, all kinds of places uh, where local people have banned dispensaries. Uh, that, that, that stigma that has, it's legal. It has nothing yeah. to do with the law, right? It has, it's just, just stigma. Uh, so, so, you know, programs like this, the work you're doing right now, it's, it, it's all, you know, a thou, it's like water on a rock. Eventually the rock's not there anymore and the water can flow. And, and we're in that process now. It, it took a hundred years of lies to build this stigma up. Yeah. And, and, and it takes a while to get that, you know, out and that you're right. That is what we try to do here, you know, inform, inspire and help destigmatize because, you know, it's like the old saying we've, we've come so far, but we still got a long ways to go. And, uh, and back to, back to the stigma topic, like 
I don't understand why one side of the aisle hasn't really embraced this issue. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like a winner because on one side you can say, hey, it's personal freedom, uh, it's entrepreneurship, you know, it's, it's generating revenue. On another side, you know, you could say it's personal freedom. You could say it's, you know, these are things that they, they, they like to champion, but yet it seems like the support is kind of tepid, you know, from the Democratic side. And I don't even think the Republicans want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, except for maybe Cory Gardner here. So it's like, you know, it, it just seems like neither side wants to embrace it. And right now would be a good time where, you know, it creates jobs and revenue and relief for people. And, you know, there's states that can't even, can't even meet their budget that probably could use, I think I saw Colorado's, you know, sold like a billion dollars worth of cannabis or something. So it's yeah. weird. Neither side wants to embrace this. And I think the first one that, that does is, is going to get some real, some real legs out of it. Well, you know, it's, you, you bring up an excellent analysis and point. Both political parties are terrified of cannabis. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it doesn't make any rational sense to folks like you and me. It doesn't make rational sense to anybody who just takes a look at cannabis from any kind of objective viewpoint at all. It doesn't make any sense. So it makes you wonder what the motives are and why people, uh... why political parties are so terrified of cannabis and you know there's 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 a lot of stigma involved in that, mm -hmm. that we just talked about but there's also a lot of people that have given these politicians a lot of money over the years bingo you know that yeah. have conflicts with cannabis um to say the least so yeah they're beholden to special interests and in, in, you know maybe other industries that are scared of cannabis oh yeah or yeah. haven't quite figured out how to assimil assimilate cannabis. You know, the mm -hmm. pharmaceutical industry has no clue on how to assimilate cannabis yet. And it's a pretty big threat if you can, if 80% of the medicine that you need in your entire life, you can grow in your backyard or your balcony. Um, you know, it's a problem for the pharmaceuticals in the industry. Um, uh, so, so, you know, there's a follow the money part of this too, I think. Um, and, and just, we have to transform our entire society from the ground up and so that something like cannabis, something like a natural remedy has a place in our pop culture lexicon that is more, has more respect uh, than, than, than right now, you know, right now, if you love plants the way you and I love cannabis, you know, people think you're a little crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but then, you know, you, you, you see people who love petroleum, you know, or, or other very toxic things as much. Fracking. As I'm in Colorado, man. There's some people that love fracking. Yeah. As much, they're all about it. <laughs> yeah, as much as they love cannabis, they love fracking and they love yeah. I love petroleum and you're like well it's not that crazy a thing is it yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's just you know so if you can love petroleum you can love weed we have to make this these conversions happen uh within people and within the whole you know 
society at large. So all these things have to happen. Thankfully, we have this wonderful plant that <laughs> make people feel really good and inspired to do that work. <laughs> I said, don't you think if the Republicans and the Democrats right now, and we know they're a mess, I mean, they're a freaking pig pen, but don't you think that if we could just have someone go in and say, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. You guys are going to smoke this. You guys are going to smoke this. And then we're going to talk about this right now. Don't you think there's just a chance they might find more common ground, you know, as opposed to the way they try to do stuff right now? Like, let's get them stoned, let them smoke the peace pipe, and maybe solve one or two damn things that they seem to not be well, able to do anything. Solve anything. They could just at least have a common experience. Okay. Yes. Oh, we're both stoned. Yeah. Wow. What does that feel like to you? Does that feel different to you than me? <laughs> and you go through this process, right? And, and so you have a common experience because that's, we don't even have a common experience of our own country right. you know, anymore. Um, so I think having common experiences is like, if I'm president, my first hundred days, I'm not gonna try to solve the biggest problems facing the country. Can we get rid of the penny? Um, I just want to get rid of the penny on my first. Can we agree on that? That the penny is something that needs to. All right, we agreed on the penny. Penny's we gone. The penny's gone. <laughs> All right, now let's try to get something a little bit more than that done, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more. And I think maybe that kind of approach, because we don't have trust. Yeah. And when I've had problems in my own teams that I've had to manage at Harborside and other places, even underground teams, mm -hmm. the trust is really important, right? That, 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 that you have that, that trust on the team and, and sometimes you don't pay enough attention to it and things get screwed up and, and, and you don't, and you have to pay attention to it again. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that's a really important uh, part of, and we don't have that in our society anymore. Uh, as you mentioned, the two political parties, they just don't have any kind of trust. Yeah. At all. I mean, all these people, millions of people are unemployed and you couldn't even agree to extend the unemployment last week. It was just unbelievable. You know, the negligence. I mean, if cannabis people were that negligent, they'd string us up. Are you <laughs> they'd string us up in public. You know what else too is is the fact that you know uh, old people vote traditionally, right? And I know, like my grandma, she's you know she's like seventy seven. She takes CBD and she loves it. And I think that most older people find cannabis either cool or they just don't really think anything of it. You know what I mean? Like they're not against it. I don't think they think of it as this horrible, you know, drug when they're taking how many pharmaceuticals, you know, to, I just, I think that it's a win-win. Those people vote and it's just back to what you said, you know, about the two sides finding something in common ground. I think old people in cannabis would be good common ground and it might even help, you know, bring them some relief and maybe they wouldn't need as many pharmaceuticals. Yeah, ca cannabis is the common ground where we win elections in red states, we win elections in blue states. It is the common ground. It's just that fear and, and, and some of those special interests that yeah. are holding the two political parties. But, you know, the pain, the economic pain, every state in this union is going to have a budget deficit. Um, there might be another Great Depression. Um, and so 
the conditions for people to take another look at all of this and I think are ripe. And I, I, I think it's all built on lies, okay? So when you have a real crisis that's not built on a lie, that's punching people in their gut every single day, all day long, it's really hard to say, hey, this cannabis thing's really bad. We can't have it in our community. It's like, what are you talking about? The community yeah. is bankrupt. Are, yeah. are you insane? <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so it becomes really hard for our adversaries to build an argument that makes sense in the theater of public opinion. And I think we'll see a whole lot of embracing of cannabis by political parties in power all throughout the country. And, we'll start to see these bands disappear in California and Michigan. Even Colorado had that problem for a while, um, I know. And we'll start to see more integration. And, and, and you know, that'll cause a whole bunch of other problems we'll have to deal with. But um, at least access won't be as big a problem as it is now in the legal market, where all these people want to access legal cannabis in California, and they can't get it. Yeah. They can't get it. Yeah. You know what? Okay, so that's that's a perfect segue because uh, we've got to take a short, we've got to take a break for a short chronic break here and uh, give a shout out to one of our sponsors. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about The Last Prisoner Project. I want to talk to you about, uh, let's talk about film work, the Angelo Brothers Productions. I think that stands for DAB. That's pretty cool. And uh, I want to find out what's next for you. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after these messages. Thank you for listening to Cannabis Tech Talks. This episode is brought to you by Fluence. Fluence creates lighting solutions for controlled environment commercial crop production. This means cannabis cultivators are able to get denser and more potent flower with enriched cannabinoid, terpene, and flavonoid profiles by gaining greater control over your light spectrum and intensity. Fluence applies the latest research in photobiology, evidence-based design, and advanced technology to foster a healthier and more sustainable world. Hey, everybody, we're back. You are chopping it up with Chuck here on Cannabis Tech Talks, and we are here with Andrew D'Angelo. Uh, and we've been talking a little bit about uh, Harborside. We talked somewhat about, uh, you know, kind of his beginnings in the industry. We started talking a little bit about politics and activism. Um, tell us about the Last Prisoner Project, because I feel like I could talk about that the whole the whole time of this show like i am just absolutely super one of the biggest fans of the lpp tell me where that got started and what's you know what what is last prisoner project all about sure it's one of my if not my favorite thing to talk about last prisoner project is a nonprofit 501c3 and c4 soon <laughs> And our mission, Steve and I and some other folks started LPP about a year and a half ago. We officially, officially got our 501c status. I think it was September of 2019. Mm -hmm. And we're not the only group working on getting cannabis people uh, out of prison. We also work on expunging records of cannabis prisoners. And we also work on reintegrating them into society. With COVID-19, we launch some efforts to get people out before they get the virus especially our long-term cannabis prisoners it's life or death for them life or death yeah yeah um, and 
And it's, it's a shame because a lot of these folks are, are not kids. They're not young people. They're middle-aged folks or even a little bit beyond middle age and, and very susceptible. When you've been locked up for a long time, people don't understand. You get diabetes because the food's no good. You get arthritis because you don't sleep on padding or any kind of, you know, thing that's good for your bones and muscles and cartilage. Yeah. Um, certainly, you're going to be more susceptible to stress and anxiety when you're locked up than when you're not locked up. So all these health conditions happen to you when you're locked up for a long time, and that makes your system weaker to COVID. So that's another thing that we do. Um, and you know, the community has really responded, particularly since 420, mm -hmm. you know, LPP has raised probably 50% or more of all the money we've raised has happened since 420. And the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many others um, sort of really motivated folks to, to, to help LPP and a whole bunch of other groups, like I said, that are doing this work and, and people should help all of them. Not yeah. Just, yeah. Not just LPP. And so we've been able to hire a few more staff. Um, we've been able to add some more constituents to our roster. There's 40,000 people mm -hmm. locked up in the United States for cannabis. We, we're not quite big enough to help every single one of them, but you know, we, we try to pay attention to, the people in there for life, people have been locked up for decades. And then we also try to pay attention to lower hanging fruit, people that are in states that have more favorable expungement laws and that sort of thing. Nevada just did 15,000 expungements all at once a few weeks ago. That's cool. Um, uh, yeah, we worked on that with, uh, like I said, a whole bunch of other groups. Uh, a lot of this work is done by lawyers, as you can imagine, because. Uh -huh clemency is the way people get out of prison or sometimes it's um you win a, an appeal uh, in the court system so all those things require lawyers to, to to get people out and we have a lot of people supporting us on our advisory board celebrities and and all kinds of cannabis brands and people can go to our website lastprisonerproject.org if you're a cannabis company there's various programs we've developed that you can learn about on the their plug-and-play programs, they're easy to implement. Our staff does 90% of the heavy lifting, and they're good for the companies too. Uh, we have logos we can give folks to put in their stores, websites, packaging to let their customers know that they're supporters of LPP. And those kind of things we've developed to, to sort of bond the community together in this effort we hope that we can get everybody out not just in the united states but all over the world i had a great phone call with some folks in mexico who uh, want to do this work in mexico and certainly canada uh, we need to do the work up there too so it's very rewarding work there's when somebody gets out of prison and and, and you've helped them do that it's kind of like helping someone heal themselves with cannabis. Oh, it's got to be so, so just, just rewarding to know that your work is helping affect other people that profoundly. I mean, it's just got to, it's got to feel great. It really does. And folks out there that are listening, there's a lot of exuberance right now in cannabis, right? And mm -hmm. 
part of what makes me excited about being in cannabis is getting people out of prison and helping people with cancer and epilepsy and debilitating diseases. That's where the real fun is. Yes, it's great to have a business that's robust, that, that does well, that makes money, and, and few cannabis businesses do right now. Um, <laughs> but, but the bigger mission is really to serve our community. Yeah. And, and, Legacy. And yeah. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know, I mean, buildings come and go and businesses can come and go, but if you can affect somebody's life and the people listening right now, they can get involved. Just like you said, they can go to the website, they can donate, they can, you know, where I first heard of uh, Last Prisoner Project? Where? Uh, I was at the Emerald Conference in San Diego and yep. I believe you guys had a golf tournament there and raised something like, you know, $14,000. And I saw this big giant check being given, you know, to the LPP. And I was curious, you know, what, what exactly are they doing? And, um, you know, you guys have been great. You know, we're, we're, you're actually the last prisoner project is, uh, you know, one of our social impact partners for the emerge virtual cannabis conference. And you, I mean, Mary, just your whole team has been incredible and it just want, inspires us to do more to help you guys continue. So I hope, I hope people that are listening, you know, they check it out. Um, cause it's good to have a couple, I think charities or nonprofits, you know, that you, you really vibe with so that you can feel you're a part of that change. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think everybody should have some kind of community service bucket in their lives even if mm -hmm. it's just writing a check once a year um, but i encourage people to embed in the community to do that service and and you know it there's nothing like even if you just write a letter to a prisoner and start a pen pal relationship with a prisoner i have a couple going right now myself super rewarding thing to do because when you're in prison and you get a letter from somebody yeah it's really hard to imagine what that means. But when you're locked up and somebody has taken the time to write you a letter, that's a lifeline for you. Yeah. Just that emotional and spiritual connection with another human being on the outside is just, I cannot state enough just how powerful that is. And, and it's a great way for people that don't want to be public maybe want to be a little just more discreet or private, you can just start a little pen pal relationship yeah. with a prisoner and you don't have to get a bunch of glory and you don't have to spend any money just to stand. Yeah. Uh, and that can do a lot because we have so much to repair uh, with the war on cannabis and, and particularly people of color and poor, poor people that have been locked up for this. And, we all need to have that part of our lives that we spend a little time on that. If we all did that, if every single person uh, did that, then we, we'd have this job done pretty quick. So I think it's the way of the future. I think the last several weeks with what we've seen in the streets is, is teaching all of us that. So I'm, I'm hoping that everybody will include that in their lives moving forward. I think I heard it might have been, you know, maybe Tony Robbins or someone. He said that the ultimate definition of, you know, failure is financial success without fulfillment. You know, that that element of fulfillment is what really makes it, you know, that you're giving back. And I, I think that's really cool. I mean, can the cannabis industry really have success without addressing, you know, social equity and, and uh, you know, what what it took to get to this point? No, no, we can't. And. It won't be an authentic success 
if there's people making intergenerational wealth while there's other poor black and brown people locked up for decades for doing much, much less. Yeah. Uh, same thing on a much smaller scale. And they simply didn't have the privilege to, 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 to overcome the obstacles and they're still locked up. So no, we will not be, uh, it's a sacred mission. I, I call it a sacred mission to right the wrongs of the past. We have a sacred mission. It's not a mission to any transactional God. It's a mission to the moral center of the universe. Yeah. And we all know that there is a moral center of the universe. We all feel it. And that's our obligation is to that, which mm -hmm. is way bigger than any one person or any one company or any one thing. And until we fulfill that destiny and we fulfill that sacred promise to correct the wrongs of the past, then we have not fulfilled the promise of cannabis legalization and the cannabis renaissance. I am hopeful, but not optimistic, actually, that we're on our way to doing that. So we, 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 we have to work really hard. You are an activist. I love it. I'm, I'm digging it. Um, okay, so tell us about the uh, tell us about film work. What's the D'Angelo Brothers Productions? What's go, what's going on on your creative side here? Well, um, thanks for asking. Creativity. I went when I went to college. I studied acting, filmmaking, and theater huh. um, thirty years ago now. And so it's always storytelling has always been. You know, we mentioned stigma a moment ago. That's how you reduce stigma. Uh, that's how you open people's hearts to cannabis. Uh, we don't change going through the head. We change going through the heart. And my creative work has always been designed to try to touch people in their hearts so that, that we can, again, transform society. I've always been wanting, hungry to transform society my, my whole life. It's a worthy life. goal. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty oh, aspirational... Yeah. 1985 and you love cannabis and you and ronald reagan's president and you realize you're a progressive person and, and, and <laughs> there was a lot to do um uh so so you know there was a there was a whole a lot of work we had to do there and i thought you know storytelling was a uh, i thought was a safe place to to do that work yeah so now that I've had this long journey as a cannabis trader and as a cannabis activist and Harborside's gone public and we have this last prisoner project, I'm also trying to tell stories uh, to reduce that stigma. So uh, we have, I have a couple feature films that I produced this year. One's dropping next month called CBD Nation. That's a documentary film. Uh, I have a Playboy, uh, two columns with playboy.com right now where I'm writing about uh, cannabis on their platform and me and my brother have a bunch of other uh, creative projects in our pipeline and you know we've been working together since we were kids and yeah. we're gonna work together until we're in our graves and maybe even into the next lifetimes as well um, but uh, so D'Angelo Brothers Productions is is sort of the entity we use for those kinds of creative projects CBD Nation Steve and I both appear in that documentary and, and we produced it. The production company was one of the producers on it. And, you know, it's something I've always had a passion for. Storytelling is, is, is one of the, it's kind of like social justice work. It's mm -hmm. 
you, you do because you love to do it. It's, it's not something I've been able to make a lot of money on in my life, but it is something that has been an important part of my career, an important part of my work, and, and I'm, I'm happy to continue uh, to, to tell those stories. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that um, a couple will be able to announce some, some more creative projects in 2020 before the year's out. Well, I think it's, I think what's so cool about that is that right now there's a big push towards, you know, what they call like edutainment, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of disguised as entertainment, but you're learning stuff along the way. And I think that people that are, you know, consuming on Netflix and Hulu and they're binging, they just start looking around and next thing you know, you stumble on a documentary or you stumble on a movie, you know, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of those movies back in the, in the nineties, you know, movies like Friday or, you know, pineapple express, you know, the two thousands or whatever, I watch those now and they were a little, you know, ahead of their time in a way, because back then it was illegal everywhere. And maybe some of those movies helped a little bit uh, soften the stigma, you know, as, as we moved on longer, you know, just seeing it in pop culture, reading about it in Playboy, you know what I mean? Like just seeing oh, yeah. it kind of helps, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Up in Smoke, the first yeah. song movie, that was the, that was the pioneering, yeah. uh, you know, piece of cannabis content that was a big giant hit right ultimate buddy comedy you know what i mean cannabis it was super benign you know fun yeah and you know there were parts of it that you know one can say well they were a little bit uh, too far on the intoxication side but that was the comedy it was supposed to be funny yeah. um, and, and um people um and you know i was a kid when that movie hit and it was uh, it was it was it was, you felt a, a real sense of freedom going yeah. to the movies and being able to see something like that. You're sitting there going, how did they get the money? How did somebody give them the money to make this movie? How did they do it? My God, this is terrific. Um, and it was, it's like reading Hunter S. Thompson when, when you read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, or at least when I read it as a teenager, it was just one of those, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, there's somebody else who feels this way and thinks this way and is as big a freak and hedonist as I am. <laughs> um, and you know, awesome. Um, I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> I, you know, and it, it, so, so it's really important, and and that's that. I always, you know, harbored dreams of of being being able to tell a story that really impacted you know weed wars are a reality tv show about harborside um you know it had a big impact on people and 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 people to this day come up to me and say wow you know weed wars is the reason i'm in the cannabis industry and that's, that's a cool great, you know that's a cool yeah. story i mean even weed wars had lots of problems and issues as a story and you know we're dealing with a big media company and uh you know, there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of compromises you have to make and, and to have a platform like that. But uh, we, well, we would we would love to have you anytime on uh, Cannabis and Tech today. We've got a really nice, you know, print magazine it goes out all over uh, and we'd love to have you contribute sometime. I, I feel like I could talk to you you know, forever. This has been a, this has been a really good chat. Um, what's so what's next for you? You know, what's uh, what's kind of on the horizon? Is it the creating? Is it uh, what, what, well, what is it you for know, you? Creativity for sure. Social justice for sure. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I'm in my post Harborside 
life now that I'm doing is strategic advice and consulting to cannabis industry and also even governments and, and yeah. cities and people like You've that. You've seen it. Yeah. You've been a part of it. You've helped create it literally from the ground up where you guys didn't even really have a blueprint, right? And you got to experience the things that worked, the things that didn't work. I mean, that's, that's valuable information right there, my friend. Right. And what's fun about it is I get to help a lot of different companies. We get to build the industry instead of just building one company. Mm -hmm. I had my head down with running the day-to-day -day, day -day for Harborside for many, many years, over a decade. And that, that, that job required a lot of focus. It required me to really be embedded with the team. I had, at one point, almost 300 people in one way or another reporting to me. So now I get to do that with lots of different companies. And I, Steve and I, just as you and I have talked about, Chuck, we want to build a new kind of industry, not the same as all the other industries, not a brutal, greedy race to the bottom. We want something more meaningful in our ecosystem. We want to, to be able to create models and integrate cannabis in society so that society feels really good about it and that it's not all about the money, but it's also about building community and making people well yeah. and giving people some hope uh, right now and some relief and yeah. some soothing energy. And, and that's, that's the promise that cannabis has. And, and, and that's the great work that we all are privileged enough to do really. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so it's, it's like you said, where we have right now before us, this incredible opportunity, it's our sandbox, you know, and it might sound utopian, but you can make money and make a difference. You know, you can help people and be profitable, you know, and I, and I just love the fact that, that we're trying to do it. We're at least willing to take a look at how we're doing it and have the conversation, you know, amongst ourselves in the industry. That's a damn good first start. I couldn't agree more, Chuck. And if you look at the institutions, good institutions, good democratic institutions in this country, a lot of them were built from the profits of bad things. <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> things that are, you know, not, we, we were not super proud of uh, right now, but, 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 but profits, you know, can be used for good things. You know, yeah. Rocker, Rockefeller polluted the world, but they also spent a lot of money on the arts and other things that that were good. So so this idea of you know using profits to create good things is is certainly not anything new and 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 you know the the question in front of humanity is can we do it sustainably? Yeah. Can we do it sustainably? Cannabis obviously cannabis hemp is going to play a huge role in solving that answering that question. I think we can do it sustainably. And, and I think not only sustainably, but maybe even um, in a better way, and we can build an even better world. It may not be, I don't know, it may not have as much zeros behind it. Um, mm -hmm. but I think there might be a lot more meaning and happiness in, in, in a world that we create like that. Uh, because I think people are hungry for that right now, certainly. Certainly, we're, we're all suffering in this moment where some whole bunch of things have gone wrong. And, and yeah. we have to take stock of that and, and, and <laughs> get better.
I think authenticity. I think people are starving for authenticity, you know, right now. And it's just, there's so much fake. There's so much, you know, just a lot of, you know, Instagram filters and just things aren't real. And I think authenticity carries a lot of weight, you know, right now, especially if you're being authentic and trying to do the right thing. Well said, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> hey, how can our how can our listeners uh, get a hold of you? What's uh, what's your preferred uh, social media platform? Where are you hanging out? What? How can yeah, they get a hold of you? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Andrew D'Angelo is my website. You can email me there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, pretty easy uh, guy to get a hold of. Andrew at andrewdangelo.com is, is probably the easiest. And anybody who wants to plug in the Last Prisoner Project, lastprisonerproject.org. That's, that's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Um, let's do it again sometime. Uh, really just a big fan of the work of you, your brother, the LPP, uh, just everything that's going on over there right now. We really appreciate you. And uh, for our listeners right now, we'll be back next Wednesday with another brand new episode. Uh, if you like this episode, make sure that you subscribe and share. Um, and don't forget to follow us and follow Andrew and follow the last prisoner project on social. Also, don't forget, check out emerge virtual cannabis conference. It's going to be kicking off in September. It is on a 3d immersive world where you create an avatar, you go around uh, last prisoner project minorities for medical marijuana. Um, those are our two social impact partners. It's going to be really cool. So make sure you check it out. And again, we appreciate you joining us. We'll see you again next Wednesday. Take care. Until next time. Thanks, Chuck.